is set up. I mean, we've come now to the last Sunday of the year. I think I preached the first Sunday of the year, uh, and now I'm preaching the last Sunday of the year. And uh, it's just a time for reflection, a time to look back uh, at our own life, at the life of the church, and, uh, and, and where you are. Are you where you thought you would be based on the first sermon from, last, from this year? You know, a whole year has passed. Where are you at? Uh, you know, where, where did you think you would be? And uh, it's, it's time to get a little nostalgic and a little historic, uh, a little bit. Over the past few years, I have become uh, an appreciator of history, not by any means a history buff or history expert, but I appreciate history more and more. I uh, have done more and more reading uh, and historical uh, fact, historical truth, uh, biographies, uh, stories uh, based on history. And, and as I think back, you know, what, what are the key moments in, in my life over this last year, some of the reflection, but as I think back historically, what are some key moments in history? Some, some things that really were game changers. You can think nationally, if we look back at our, at our nation's history, the American Revolution was huge. I mean, that's really what got us started. And the founding fathers and laying down the, the groundwork for how this nation was to, to operate and, and what was to make it thrive. Civil War, major game changer in that. As we look uh, at church history and go back uh, many, many years to the Reformation, that was a game changer. The church changed drastically with Martin Luther. And those are important things to know. Internationally, World War I, World War II, those were game changers. The Berlin Wall coming down uh, was an amazing uh, feat that, that nobody thought would happen in our lifetime. Spiritually, I went online and I typed in uh, most important events in history. And a list of them came up. Some of those, World War I, World War II, were in there. The life of Christ was, was listed as one of the most important events in history. And a few down from that, I think the life of Christ was like number five, number six. Number seven or eight was the life of Muhammad. It was the most, one of the top ten most important events in history. And so history is very important because all of those things are game changers in our life. And, and, and so what I began asking myself in, in light of this message and, and where we are going this morning is what is the most important event in history? What was the ultimate game changer? That things were never going to be the same as before to after this fact. Now we've already celebrated Christmas. This is not a Christmas story not a Christmas sermon. Christmas has got to be, the birth of Christ has to be up there as the most important. That, that We divided time before Christ, after Christ. But there's another event that we need to reflect on, that we need to look back on. And as we look at our own life in light of this event, it, it poses times for self-reflection what was productive in my life based on this event? How have I grown? What opportunities have I taken? What opportunities were lost? What were the most important things in this past year? 
Because when we lose sight of the most important things, we begin to dwell on the less important things, and we lose our way. And then we'll get a year from now, and we're like, we're not where we thought we would be. The Apostle Paul has something to say about the most important thing, the ultimate game changer. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 815. We're talking to the Corinthian church. And when Paul wrote this first letter, we have two letters to to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Corinthians was a, the, the church at Corinth was a church that was quickly losing their purpose. They started out, I believe, strong. I believe they started out strong in the faith, growing, excited. They were, in a, they were in a city that desperately needed Christ. They desperately needed to hear the message, the gospel. But they had, had lost their purpose. They were focusing on the wrong things. They had, had allowed the most important thing to slide to the background, and they brought all of the less important things and forgetting the only thing that mattered. If you read through 1 Corinthians, you'll find that they argued over who was the best leader. Some said Paul, some said Apollos, some said Peter, some said Jesus. That was the holier-than-thou group. Well, we follow Jesus. They probably talked in a deeper voice when they said it, too. They argued over what was the most spiritual gift. Well, yes, you have that gift, but I have this gift. And, and so they were arguing about all these unimportant things. They, they practiced tolerance over holiness. Tolerance is a big word today. Holiness, not so much. But you remember in chapter 5 where they tolerated the, the sexual immoral and they were proud of the fact that they welcomed him into their body. And Paul said, kick him out. Holiness is more important than tolerance. They had forgotten they, they stressed legalism over freedom. They allowed communion to be reduced to a church party. And Paul wrote this letter because they had forgotten the most important thing. I think we need reminded sometimes because we can let other events, we can let other circumstances overshadow this one. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I was not, no, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preached, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has, been ra- Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your fu- faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. You see, Paul was saying, don't, don't, don't get caught up in who's the best leader, what's the best spiritual gift, legalism, freedom, the, 
The resurrection is the most amazing, important game changer there ever was. And if the resurrection did not happen, then we might as well just close up shop because we've got nothing else. That's the only thing we preach. The only thing we preach is that Christ lived, died, buried, rose again, and that we have hope in that resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event because if it did not happen, we have nothing else. We have nothing else. The resurrection is important for three reasons, the first of which is because of your past. The resurrection is important because of your past, and so we need to reflect back on our life. Verse 14 says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If, those, if there is no resurrection, then your faith is useless. Faith is only as good as the object that the faith is placed into. Everyone has faith. Don't let anyone tell you they don't live by faith. Everyone lives by faith. Muslims have faith. They have faith in Allah. They have faith in Muhammad. They have faith that, that what he has said, what Muhammad preached is going to happen. They have faith in that. Mormons have faith in a God defined by Joseph Smith. Even atheists live by faith. They have faith that there is no God. They can't prove it. They have faith that there is no God. So everyone has faith, and faith is only as good as the object that you place it in. And Paul is saying the only thing worth placing your faith in is the resurrection of Christ. Because if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is as useless as everyone else's faith. Paul is saying that a Christian faith is only beneficial if the resurrection is true. And look at verse 17, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, if the resurrection is not true, not only is your faith futile, you're still in your sins. Not only is your faith useless, but you still are in your sins. Now what does that mean? It means that you're still under the guilt of sins. You don't have forgiveness. You're still going to pay for them. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus and puts his faith in his sinless life in his sacrificial death, in his personal resurrection, your sins are forgiven. By faith, your sins are forgiven because of the resurrection. The resurrection sealed that deal. But if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then you're still in your sins. You're still wearing them, you're still living in them, and someday you're going to have to pay for them by your own eternal death. But Jesus' resurrection has brought us the hope of eternal life, the hope of forgiveness. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess, profess your faith and are saved. Your past can be forgiven. Only because of the resurrection is our past something that we can wipe clean. Something that we can receive forgiveness for. All of it. No matter what wrong you have done, not guilty is the verdict. Because of the resurrection. Because Jesus has conquered death. He has conquered sin. And he offers that victory to us. Because of the resurrection. 
The resurrection assures not only the, the freedom from guilt of sin, but we are no longer under the power of sin. You see, it removes the sin's power in our life too. At once we were slaves to sin, Paul says. And being a slave to sin meant that whatever sin told us to do, we did. Which is why there's so much sin in the world. Look around, it doesn't take long. You don't even have to look very far back to see how sin went on a rampage. That's just normal sinful behavior. But the resurrection has promised not only a freedom from the guilt of sin, but the freedom from the power of sin where we do not have to be mastered by it anymore. We do not have to be controlled by sin. We can be victorious over sin. Throughout Scripture, it says young men who, who overcome sin. And it talks about being over, overcomers. Transformed by that faith. I now have the power to not sin that I did not have before. I only had the power to sin. Even if I had a desire not to, I didn't necessarily have the willpower to overcome. But now, Christ's resurrection, the Holy Spirit in my life, gives me the power to overcome bad habits, the power to overcome addictions, the power to overcome bad attitudes. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then we are stuck in our sin, both the guilt and the power. The resurrection is also important to our future because while it relieves the guilt and relieves the power, it sets us on a course of hope. And that plays a key role. Look at verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the resurrection is only good, if, if, if faith is only good for this life, if there is no hope of the future, then we're to be pitied among men because this life really offers us nothing. Nothing worth anything. And, and our hope is not just for this life, but it's for our existence after death. It's for the, the next life. And the resurrection delivers us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, but sometimes it, someday it's going to uh, deliver us from the presence of sin. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine life where sin is not even an issue? It's not even brought up. It's not even hinted at. There are no effects of it whatsoever. That's the future hope. That's heaven. That's what the resurrection promises. That's what the resurrection brings us. If we don't have the hope of a resurrection in heaven, then, then we have this life and then we die and end of the story. We are to be most pitied. That word pity means miserable. Anyone who doesn't have the hope of the resurrection really has a miserable life. And you, you don't have to look around very far to where you look at people who, who don't have that relationship with Jesus that are living for this day and this day only, living for self. What a miserable, wrapped up life that is. No hope beyond the grave. And do you see how that is going to change the way you live this life? It's going to change the way you live. If you are looking only at this life right now before I die, you're going to live different than if you know there's life after death, a better life after death. Hope of sinless, perfect, in the presence of God life after death changes our perspective. But we fear death. 
We live in a society that, as a friend of mine said recently, our society cannot tolerate death. We can't put up with death. And why? Because death is an enemy. It is to be avoided at all costs. We're to do everything we possibly can to avoid death. Why? Is this life really that good? I'm not saying run out and be stupid. But I'm also saying don't run out and be stupid. Live the life God gave us with the hope of the resurrection that there is another life to come. Death is not final. Jesus was victorious over death and he promised that to believers and so we can live our life in that light. But we fight against it. We protect ourselves because we live in a society that believes death is final and that all of the joy that we can experience is connected to this life. That's not true. The resurrection proves that. So we live this life with with self being the big motivator and we grab all that I can get and I protect all that I can get and I want to keep all that I can get because when I die, see, why do we do it? Because we feel that when we die, it's over. The world is taught that when we die, it's over. And that is, that is to be pitied because when we live in fear of dying, we never truly live. And life is miserable. But the Bible offers a different view. The resurrection promise of death is not final. It's merely a passage from this life to the next, the better one. And that faith in Jesus, forgiveness of our past, offers us hope for the future, which brings us right smack dab into the reality of the present. Because the resurrection is important to your present, to where we are, to how we live, because death is not final. And if we are living as if death is final, we're going to fear it, we're going we're to protect our life, we're going to do things that... That, that we probably shouldn't do. We're not going to do things that we should do. I mean, consider the disciples. The resurrection meant everything for the disciples. Right? Because they, they only knew Jesus for three years. And suddenly all of the things they wrapped their hope up into was going away. Had died. Had been nailed to a cross. And they found themselves locked up in a dark room. They found themselves locked up fearing death because they knew that, that, the, that, that what had happened to Christ, that the government was, was against them and that if they were connected to that, they too might die and they didn't know what was going to happen and, and Jesus had promised coming back but I, I, and, they, and they heard stories that he had appeared but none of them had seen him and so they're held up in this little room with just candles. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Is it I myself? Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. 
You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power from on high. Suddenly, that one night, life was given purpose again. Life was given meaning again. Because while they were all huddled up, fearing their own life, Jesus popped in. The resurrected Jesus. And he gave them purpose. He gave them meaning. He gave them a mission. And he gave them the power to fulfill that mission. And he said, from now on, guys, live in light of the resurrection. Live in light of eternity, not in light of fear of death. Death is not to be feared. I've conquered death. I have overcome that, and I will give you the same ability to overcome. That there is now a resurrection. There is now a promise that fear was replaced with boldness because they went from that huddled up behind locked doors to preaching in the streets, sharing with everyone, being thrown in prison. They didn't care anymore. The resurrection made a difference. It was the most important thing right now. Because of what it did in my past and what it's promised for my future, I live differently because of the resurrection. We can live our lives with spiritual abandonment, with no fear, with certainty, not a fear of death. The difference was Jesus was alive. The soldiers who killed Jesus may very well kill them, but death no longer had power over them. Now there was a story to tell. There was good news. And the resurrection proved that, brought it to them. Tim McGraw sang a song a number of years ago. I'm not a country western fan, but I will use it in sermon illustrations if I absolutely have to. Do you remember the song, Live Like You Were Dying? About a, I think he was 42 years old, found out he had cancer or some tumor, and he, he knew that he, he had, was just given a few months to live or a few weeks to live. And, and he said, you know, they asked him, what'd you do? And he said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I love deeper. You know, it, it, it changed his life. But I think Tim McGraw had it backwards. Because he said, live like you, you are dying. You know, I hope that one day you can live like you are dying. Folks, we're already dead. I want you to live like you are living for the first time ever. Because we are dead. If, if, if there is no resurrection, we're dead in our sins. You're already dead. The resurrection gives us life, provides us power to truly, truly live. Don't live like you're dying. Live like you've already died and you've got resurrection. Live like you are living through the power of Jesus Christ. That makes all the difference. What would you do if you had no fear? What would you do? How would you live your life if you had no fear? I'm not saying skydiving without a parachute. That would come under the category of stupid. But how would you live your life if the fear of persecution, if the fear of being made fun of, if the fear of dying, if the fear of losing everything, because really, what are we going to lose? You're going to lose it all anyway. When you're dead, it's gone. You've lost it. So there's no sense hanging on to it right now. 
How would you live in light of eternity? Peter confronted the very people he was hiding from. Peter was one huddled up in that little room, dark room with the candles and, and, and fearing what was going to happen next. And he went right out and he began preaching against those that he was fearing. Because now there's nothing to fear. Paul <clears throat> traveled the world. He endured shipwrecks, beatings, prison, flogging, stoning, homelessness, hunger. He, a life of danger. There was danger at every turn. Did it stop him? No, because there was nothing to fear. The resurrection made certain that there was hope for the future, which means I could live in light of that hope. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in Paul's second letter, he writes this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, talking about our life in these bodies that are frail and falling apart. But we have this treasure, this life in jars of clay, these bodies, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. You see, we, we're to live as if we've already died. We died with Christ, therefore now we can live for Jesus. We can truly live in the power of the resurrection. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So what? So that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in us. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, light and momentary troubles, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Do we live for the temporary, or do we live for the eternal? Do we believe that the resurrection is true and fact and promises hope for a future and power for the present? Are we to be pitied among all men and live a life that is miserable, trying to keep what we cannot keep, trying to gain what we cannot gain? So what have you been living for? As you look back over this last year, as you look forward, probably more importantly, to the next year, what have you been living for? What is the, what is the most important thing in your life? Family? job, self, or is the most important thing in your life the fact that Jesus died and gave you a life to live? And you're going to live it with all the gusto and all the power and all the abandonment that comes with it. Yeah, life is filled with important things. Family's important. Your job is important. You, your body is important. Yourself is important. Being a great husband or wife is important. Being a great parent is important. Being a great employer or a great employee is important. Being a great neighbor, a great citizen, a great friend, a great church member is important. But great cannot be 
achieved if we forget that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If we forget that I have died with Christ, that I might live in Christ, great will never be achieved. Great only comes through the power of the resurrection, through a life lived in light of eternity. So as a church, we have an incredible opportunity and responsibility to live out this truth in our community. In a community that fears death, in a society that fears death and will not tolerate death, we can live with the power of the resurrection and show that there is a better way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Through his resurrection, through his death and his resurrection, we have a way. And the resurrection promises hope that your past can be forgiven. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received forgiveness. You've never asked. You've never placed your faith in anything that mattered. And you're still in your sin. You're still paying the price. You're still writing the guilt. Put your faith in Christ. Acknowledge that he did come that he has offered a way and that you're going to line your life and live from this point forward into eternity. Your past can be forgiven, your future can be secured, and your present can be powerful. The Corinthians had forgotten that, and Paul reminded them. He ended chapter 15 with these words. Therefore, because of all this, because that the resurrection is true and that we have a life to live, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know that your life lived in light of eternity is not in vain. The only thing that matters in this life is what is done regarding the next life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that you would, would speak to each of us. Father, that we would reflect on our own life. That we would begin to understand what it means to die to you, to die to this life, and to truly live. That we truly are crucified with Christ. And that we no longer live, but he lives in us. Thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to play a video. <clears throat> and I want you, this is just your time to reflect. You can sing along if you want. The words are going to be up there. But this song just talks.